How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This week's guest is Kyle Robido. Kyle is an avid skier, runner, local beer enthusiast, and nonprofit manager who has worked tirelessly to ensure that he is not defined by the boundaries that others place on him and his vision. Later this month, Kyle will be the first visually impaired athlete to race the Western States 100 miler while having a visual field of about 2 to 5% of what a normal eye would see. In this week's podcast, Kyle and I talked about his experience as a visually impaired athlete and what motivates him to explore his limits both on the roads and on trails. We talked about what got him into running and why he continues to do it. Kyle's no excuses approach is pretty awesome, and I'm excited to follow along with his journey from Squaw to Auburn, California in just a few weeks. Enjoy. I am here today with Kyle Robido, who is a trail runner, road runner, all the above uh, here in Boston, Massachusetts. Kyle was recently invited to run uh, Western States by Cliff Bar. And he'll be the first uh, visually impaired runner to do so. So today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what got Kyle into running, uh, what keeps him motivated today, and and what he's looking forward to in the future. So thanks for joining me today, Kyle. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. So I saw a video that um, that Runners World put together a couple weeks ago about you, and it sounds like you got into running. Um, not for running sake, but uh, just to make it easier to play with your daughter, who at the time was two. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, if that was correct, and 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 what what got you uh, what got you out the door the first time. Definitely. So I grew up being active. I played every sport imaginable and skied and and so forth. But as my vision began to decrease in my kind of mid to late twenties, I was less active, and as a result, put on a ton of weight. And doctors were pushing for me to start taking cholesterol medicine at a very young age. My father has type 2 diabetes, so I was on the path for type 2 diabetes and was grossly underweight and having a hard time playing my daughter. So I first started just walking a little bit and was nervous that because of my decreased vision, I couldn't do that. And then I literally started running for a minute and then 10 minutes and an hour and two hours and kept on going from there. That's awesome. What did it What did it feel like at first? The first couple of days were incredibly liberating. I had convinced myself, it was more psychological, I think, that I had convinced myself that I couldn't be active anymore and I couldn't run because of my vision. So it was just really freeing to be able to do that. And then the addiction kicked in and I started running probably three days <laughs> a week. Addiction to running? No. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a new thing I heard. So it was literally just two to three days a week with a Timex watch that I was timing myself. I'd go out and run 20 minutes and then 30 minutes. And then I found myself running for five days a week and thought I needed to start doing some research and just, you know, not injuring myself and how often I would run. So it was definitely, you know, the first foray wasn't into it was health reasons. And I, you know, did manage probably over an 18 to 24 month period. I lost 
just about 70 pounds wow. and all of my health markers uh, were non-existent afterwards. That's awesome. And so what, what year was this? It was right around 2010. Cool. So at, did you ever, did you ever have, have goals of running a marathon or a half marathon or anything like that when you started? Absolutely not. <laughs> but I was visiting my in-laws one day, I think over the holidays or the summer, and I went out for a run. I was going to run for an hour and 15 minutes, and I kept on running, and I hit a two-hour mark. I remember just doing repeats on their street for like four minutes to get over the two-hour mark. And I joked to my sister-in-law, who is a very active runner, and said, wow, if I can run two hours, I'll never be able to do this again. I should sign up for a race. So I signed up for the main half marathon, and that was my first official race with a bib and all that. Nice. So half marathon was your first race? Yes. Same here. It's uh, <laughs> You don't often hear that, so that's, that's cool. How'd the race go? The race was great. I remember my goals were just to run through the entire race, and she kind of informally guided me. At that time, I wasn't necessarily running with guides, but we ran together to help with the crowds and... I remember at the 10 mile mark, I was still feeling good. I kind of took off from her. And right when I did that, the train got a little tricky. They had you hop over like a median strip. And I remember <laughs> having to walk that. And then I, you know, I pushed through and ran hard. I don't know if I had time goals for my, f that half marathon. I remember I had solid time goals for my first full, uh, but I remember it being fun and the course was gorgeous and there were huge crowds. So that was a success. Cool. So for those that might not be familiar, do you want to talk a little bit about like, what is it like to run uh, as a visually impaired runner? So I do have some usable vision. My sight right now is about a 3 to 5% field of vision, so I have very constricted kind of narrow tunnel vision. However, my, the vision I have is corrected to about 2040, 2060, so I can still read print and street signs, but what I can't see either on training runs or during races are, you know, people around me in order to pass them or get around them. I also can't see any contrast. So things like divots or sidewalks, manhole covers, potholes, I don't see as well. So there are times that I still go out and run on my own, um, mostly on routes that I've memorized. So those are great for terrain, but not so good if there are people out there that I, I don't anticipate. Got it. Was it was it frustrating at first? It was frustrating at first and continues to be very yeah. frustrating to be honest with you. Part of what is part of what I love about running compared to other sports is that it really just takes a pair of shorts and a pair of sneakers and you tie them on, you go out the door and you run for as long or as little as you want. And it still is frustrating to me that now for the most part, you know, majority of my runs are with guides and I'm very thankful and grateful that I have a incredibly supportive community of guides, but I still have to schedule those and they're, my guides are always flexible, but they have to be on, you know, start times that work for my guides and work for myself. So that continues to be something that I'm, you know, working through. And I just t keep on telling myself that I'm, I'm still lucky just to be out there running, whether it's by myself or with a guide. So you've done, um, you've been working with Team with a Vision and they're a great training group here in Boston that uh, matches runners that need guides with guides that will run with them. Um, are they are they national or is it a Boston-based group? So I work for the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. And as part of that, I actually 
help coordinate and direct a one-to-one volunteer program that part of what we do is we match sighted guides for folks who run, walk, or play golf or go swimming. Team of the Vision is a kind of fundraising arm for the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Uh, For years, they were very focused on the Boston Marathon. They turn out about 30 runners every year who are blind or visually impaired, and they do a tremendous job in helping find homestays and organize transportation to and from the airport. And then if folks from out of town or locally are looking for guides, they'll help recruit guides as well. Team of the Vision has started doing a few additional races throughout the year. So Team of the Vision kind of does race-specific guide matching, and then the Mass Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired, our volunteer program, will do matches kind of on a year-round basis. Like I have five to eight guides oh, wow. or volunteers who I run so with. So they're different people. Is it different people in, in different times of the year or different people on a weekly basis? Um, I run with a network of about five to nine guides. And right now I'm at a place where I kind of every two weeks I send them an email, everyone and saying, hey, here are my priority runs. Is anyone available? Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to tell folks, if you want to run four days a week, you should have at least eight guides. Usually the double the double the number of guides for the days of the week that you're going to run just because everyone's not available, there's vacations, people are sick, that sort of stuff. Got it. And how are people... How are these guides being found? How, how, if someone's listening and they're interested in, in participating, how do they, like, how, how do they do it? Yeah, a couple of different ways. Uh, one, as part of my work, I also manage a website called United in Stride. And that website is just unitedinstride.com. So that's a platform for all the U.S. and Canada. I mean, anywhere in the world, really, but it's really kind of U.S. based. So Folks can sign up either if they're a runner who wants to guide or someone who is blind or visually impaired and looking for a guide. Um, So it's really a vehicle to match guides with runners or runners with guides. So you hop on, you create a profile, and you list how frequently you run, what are your paces, where do you live. And then once you create a profile, you can do a search based on your zip code, and it'll pop up, auto-populate anyone within a 5, 10, 20-mile radius of you. And then much like Facebook or Twitter, you can message them directly through the website to see if they are looking for a guide or if you're a runner who's visually impaired, you can reach out to them and say, hey, I'm looking for guides. Are you interested in doing that? And then locally here in Boston, you know, it could be Team of the Vision or it could be the Mass Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired as well. Cool. Let's shift gears to um, your first Boston. We're, We're sitting here in Boston. Let's talk about Boston. Uh, when was the first year that you ran it? I'm really terrible with dates. I know it was the year after the bombing. So 2014. So 2014 yeah. was my first year. My what, brother, what was that like, doing it the year after the bombing? It was really, really interesting because being a Boston resident where I work, just being part of this community, I felt a strong connection to kind of the overall sense and the impact of the day although not running it the previous year or having never run it, I didn't, you know, there was a little bit of distance between like that emotional connection, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was a incredibly powerful day. And also the crowds were huge. They're always big for Boston. And it was really special, particularly for the runners for with team of the vision who ran the previous year and either did not have a chance to finish or did finish and felt really strongly about coming back. Cool. And you've run Boston now, 
This year will be your fifth or sixth? This year will be my sixth consecutive year. And and what keeps your what keeps your training busy uh, outside of training for Boston? I think variety is really really important. One of the reasons why I started getting into ultra races and distances greater than marathon training was just because I was really bored with marathon training. Not so much that on, from a competitive level, but there are just so many twenty mile runs you can go out and do during right. training. So I really wanted to change it up. And signing up for a 12-hour ultra race really invigorated and excited that training cycle. So, so every weekend I was out, you know, I started running two hours on Saturday and then three hours on Sunday, which I'd never done before. Yeah. And then I ran three and three and three and four. So pretty much every weekend I was achieving a new goal that I'd never met before in terms of distance. Yeah. And that to me was really, really exciting. And it met exactly what I was looking for to kind of reinvigorate my training cycle. And so now I always do try to have, you know, I, I tend to do mostly trail and ultra races right now, but I still have one or two road marathons and even some five K's and half marathons to, you know, stay spice on top. Spice it up. Yeah. Spice it up. Stay on top. Even though they hurt, <laughs> I will always say that a five K hurts way more than a hundred mile race. <laughs> um, but it's nice to, you know, try to work on that foot turnover and it's a, you know, it's a different community and different vibe. Yeah. I was sitting at, uh, in, in Squaw Valley, um, ahead of Western States this past year or last year. And I just love asking people like, what, what the hell are you doing? What are you, you're about to go run a hundred miles. You're going to run for almost two days. Uh, or, or two days or more or whatever, um, you know, more than 24 hours. And the response I kept getting was, yeah, but it's just a walk in the park. Like five K's hurt. <laughs> um, and, and a few previous guests on the podcast, we've talked at length about, about five K's. So I want to switch gears and talk about, you know, the, the far end of the spectrum, um, hundred milers. What, what's the deal with that? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out myself. I just, I mean, part of it and a lot of folks talk about the why right now. And the first reason is the community. I mean, I do find it's a truly special community, both not only the ultra distance, but just the trail runners in diff in, in, in general, I, I find it's not a better community. It's just different than road running. Yep. And so that's the first piece. And, you know, we have folks like yourself who, you know, when races get canceled, you go out and do fundraisers and we have elite runners, you know, some of the best runners in the world, the Zach Millers and the Mike Wardians and the Chrissy Males who are out there being sighted guides and volunteering. And you have folks who are finishing in first place, staying at the finish line, shaking hands or going retracing their steps and running in the last quarter mile. And I, I find that that I don't find that anywhere else in the sport where elite runners are really immersed and truly part of the community. Yeah. I, that's what I love most about, about it myself. Yeah. Um, you have these elite athletes and it's their job to perform and it's their job to win races. But at the end of the day, they care, they're doing it because of the love of the community and of being out there and, and experiencing the whole you know range of emotions and a trend I've seen recently on social media, or not recently, over the last couple of years maybe, is that accessibility uh, and and openness and sharing the highs, but more importantly, sharing the lows. And and you don't see, you know, you don't see LeBron posting that, you know, he had he had a you know tough tough training session, but he'll be back at it tomorrow. You, you know, you see you see 
guys like Mike Wardy and you see, you know, all these athletes that they're open when things are shitty and they're open when, you know, Hillary Allen talking a lot about her own injury and mm-hmm. then another injury. And, and, um, she had a great post the other day about why she does it and her why continues when she's not running and it's not, you know, she's not in love with every stride, but she's in love with the community and she's in love with, um, you know, these conversations and, and that type of thing. And, and yeah, I totally agree. You, you can't, you can't get that anywhere else. And, and if you can, let me know. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's an, you know, it's an incredibly transparent sport and a participatory one in that everyone supports another. And like you said, I mean, I can't think of, you know, watching Rob Carr's, you know, video about his experiences with mental health and depression and the way in which he uses sport and community to push through that. Like you said, I, you, I'd be hard pressed to find any other athlete who would open up that emotionally and that honestly to kind of share that and also to use it as a learning tool, not only for yourself, um, but also for others that yeah. may be experiencing similar things. Yeah. So you mentioned Rob Cryer. He just got back from uh, from his ultra camp, and it was really cool getting to know him as as just a rad human. Yeah. And just a dude that loves connecting with people one on one or in these little small groups. And what he told us was these camps, the camps that he puts on, like that gets him through the year. And he he is so excited for the buildup. He loves the actual camp, and then after the camp, it's he's still on that high. Yeah. And and he's he's been so open with his his struggle around depression. And what he shared was that people are messaging him messaging him all the time that like, hey Rob, appreciate you posting about this. I'm dealing with the same thing. Um, and he finds it super empowering and like his life mission to, to share this, um, to share this struggle that is, Mm -hmm. is a shared struggle. And it's, I love just seeing the, the, uh, reach go beyond way, way beyond sport. Yeah, no, I agree. And it also, you know, as someone who grew up watching sports and professional sports, it's a, you know, it brings new meaning to the word kind of idol or someone that you look up to or even fanboy over, you know, just because they are approachable. Right. You know, I've been actually working with Rob a little bit. He's been incredibly generous about trying to work through and make his camp uh, accessible and inclusive for runners who are blind or visually impaired, um, hoping to get a few runners out there in the next couple of years. Um, but that's so different, right? So you listen, you you listen to these folks on podcasts or you see them at races. That's so different than, you know, being a fan of a major league baseball player who, yeah, you may follow them on social media and you may watch their games, but it's just different when you are actually lining up at the same race or in the same uh, experience as them. And it's a really powerful thing. Having taco dinner in their home. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And uh, speaking of Boston Marathon, I just, I've been listening to a bunch of old podcasts. I didn't know that Rob ran, Boston years ago. Yeah, I think it was 225. Two, yeah. Yeah, in the rain apparently. Yep. So. Go figure. It rains at Boston. Yeah, imagine that. So speaking of Rob and speaking of of long distance racing, Western States. Let's talk about let's let's talk about Western States. Yeah, yeah. What what do you want to talk about? How did how did that idea come into come into play? How, you know, you've the process for those that don't know the process to get into Western States, it's not it's not a race where you just say, "Oh, hey, I, I want to run this. It looks cool. I'm going to sign up on Ultra Sign Up." You have to either win a race, get a golden ticket, or compete 
and finish a qualifying uh, distance race. And they're all they're all fifty milers or above. Um, and a lot of people keep getting these entries and keep putting in for the lottery, and they don't get it. Um, so it's a you know it's it's similar to Boston, but probably way more difficult <laughs> to get into than Boston. Um, and so this year you, you have uh, an invitational bib from, from Cliff Bar. Um, so let's, what, where, what excites you about that race? Let's start, let's start there. Oh, everything excites me about it. The training, again, it's really pushed me in my training every time I'm out for a long run and I want to cut it short a couple of miles. I just think back to how will those couple of miles impact me? Yeah. Come how am I going to feel in the canyon? Exactly. <laughs> so training wise, it's really gotten me to dial in my training. And then just, you know, the history of the race, not only the participants, but the history of the trail, you know, it goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, the Western States trail, when you talk about miners and migration through this country. And, you know, so it'd be really neat just to kind of have my feet on that trail and then, you know, just the, the history and the prestige of the race in and of itself and also be able to, you know, toe the line and start a race with this truly amazing community, but also incredibly competitive field as well. And, you know, I'm, I did enter the lottery for the, well, 2017, I was in the lottery. I had a qualifying race for 2018. I was going to enter the lottery. And then I had the idea of reaching out to Cliff and seeing if we could partner and have access to their sponsor bib. Um, part of my thinking right now is that my, my, I, my vision is it's a degenerative eye disease. So I'm slowly, but surely losing my vision in a sense every day, strong possibility that I'll lose all of it at some point. So there's a little bit of immediacy around running races such as Western States or last year I went out and had an opportunity to participate in trans Rockies. So I'm incredibly grateful for, you know, the opportunity through cliff uh, not only for the race bib, but also for the support they're providing me ongoing. Um, this is the first race, first 100 mile or a trail race out of state that I've really wanted to bring my own crew and my own, and by crew, for the most part, I mean my sighted guides, because mm -hmm. those are the ones that I trust. Um, and Cliff is being incredibly generous and supportive in that as well. That's awesome. How many guides will, will you be running with? I'll have five guide slots and Amy Rusecki, who is the race director of Vermont 100, incredibly talented yes, she's awesome. and accomplished race uh, runner and race director. She's been guiding me for the past couple of years. Uh, she's actually taking two slots. So I think she'll run second and then as my guide and then she'll finish with me as well. Cool. Have you experienced that? Have you been out and, and been there for... For a race weekend? Race I haven't. Week? I haven't. No. So there's a little bit of, you know, I would have liked to kind of be a little bit more part of the community yeah. when I lined up for it. But this is the opportunity I had. I have been, you know, almost every night I'll watch either a video or read a race report or a documentary about Western States. So uh, that's been really fun just to, you know, increase my knowledge on the history of it and the participants, but also get as much kind of course terrain uh, intelligence as well. Cool. Well, if you want to be part of the community around Western States, all you need to know is go to Coffee Bar between the hours of 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. <laughs> out in Olympic Valley. Nice. Uh, that's where that's where everybody is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, for, very cool. For a couple of days prior. Yeah, I am going out to again through Cliff's support. I'm heading out to the Western States training camp over Memorial Day weekend. So we'll run 70 miles of the trail. So that's really important to me because every long distance or every trail race. A lot of it, you know, there's sections where I inevitably have to walk because of the train. And then there's sections where everyone hikes or most right. folks hike. 
So I need to know, and then there's trail where if it's runnable, that's kind of where I use it to quote unquote, make up time. So this will give me a lot of course intelligence and in knowing, you know, if there is a flat section that's runnable for a mile or two, you know, I'll really have to giddy up and get after it to kind of compensate for, you know, slower, more technical sections as well. So known as a, a very fast and runnable course compared to Leadville, et cetera, um, how do you train for that in, in the Northeast? I run a lot of hill repeats on roads here in Boston. <laughs> yep. I mean, Boston being a flat city. Uh, and it's also, you know, it is a challenge for me to get out of town. I don't drive, you know, to so even to get to somewhere like the Blue Hills or Wachusett to run the trails. It's it's challenging for me. So, you know, last Friday I spent two and a half hours running hill repeats on Mission Hill, which is probably at best a quarter mile of a hill. So I'll run up it. I'll come back down. I just, I did that. And I think I got 1,900 feet of gain on a quarter mile hill. Wow. Not exciting, incredibly <laughs> boring, but it's what I got to do for right now. Yeah. Um, what tips do you have for people getting into longer distance running? I think really trust and put a lot of faith in the process. I think people sometimes think, wow, you run 100 miles. It's amazing that you can do that. And I talked to them about the training and the time I put in, both the physical and the mental training. So I think, you know, process is really, really important. And we all love to cross that finish line, get that medal, throw our hands up. And yes, that's the the culmination of process or a great event. But the really, the unique piece of it and what we really should be celebrating is the three or six or 12 months of training that went into that, you know? So I think one is really dedicate to training. Two is find a race that um, fits your style. I think sometimes folks, you know, within the ultra and trail running community, there's certainly, there are great mountain runners, there are great downhillers and they're great climbers. And I think part of it is finding a race, a style that fits you. And I also think start small. Um, I think, you know, if you're uh, established or, a veteran marathoner look at either a 50k or maybe take a crack at a 50 miler but go slow and it should be you know a two to three year progression almost by distance the the phrase that keeps coming up over and over again i've done now half dozen to dozen of these interviews everyone has mentioned the process and and ben rosario was very uh keen on highlighting that they at northern Oka northern arizona elite they they don't talk about race results and they don't talk about or in terms of like we're gonna run and finish second or we're gonna run and finish on the podium things like that and it's really interesting at the elite level and but even more so at at the level that we're at where it's not our job and if we're not loving it who cares <laughs> like what's the point yeah. Um, and so it's, I just find it fascinating that like, there's this consistent trend around, um, people who are successful or people who are super dedicated and motivated that they're not, they're not shooting for sub 24 hours. They're not shooting for, you know, a sub three marathon. They're not, you know, it's, I want to experience it. I want to love, love the training. I want to get the best out of myself. Um, and it's just super cool to see. 
For sure. And I think for me, a big piece of it is, you know, that's life right there, right? It's whether you are trying to ace, you know, a test in your in high school or college, or you're trying to get a promotion at, jo- at your job, or you're trying to ski and you want to get on a blue trail or ride the chairlift for the first time, you know, getting an A on a test or getting a job promotion, that's after the fact, right? It's the work that you put in to get there that you should be celebrating while also recognizing much like ultra races, whether it's a 50 miler or a hundred miler, there's going to be a tremendous amount of up and downs. And I think part of life is figuring out how to manage those highs, but also more importantly, those lows and knowing that at some point, if you're at mile 40 and all you want to do is puke and, and sit down in a chair, knowing that for the most part, it's going to get better at some point. And I think that's the same with our jobs or relationships and families and, and social networks as well. Exactly. I love it. Um, how do you use social media as part of, of what you do? I have a love-hate relationship with social media, although I'm on it all the time. Yeah. I, I feel like it's interesting that I wonder if people will still run, if they would still run if there wasn't social media <laughs> and if you didn't have the opportunity to post your run every yeah. day. So I try not to do that as much. Uh, but I also know, you know, I'm very lucky to, you know, I'm an ambassador with Topo Athletic. I've run with Nathan Sports over the past couple of years and now working with Cliff. So, you know, there's some expectation of being active on social maker engagement. I dare to use the word influencer, but you know, letting folks know what you're doing and what products and gear you're using. But I also think it, the biggest piece. And when I get frustrated, I think back to the community and I think back to this guy. So I just, about two years ago, I became aware of this guy lives out in uh, San Francisco, 81 years of age now, but he has been running trails, 152 marathons, 100 milers. There's this video on YouTube from 1979. He was absolutely destroying the quad dipsy, totally blind. And I was lucky enough to connect with him. We shared a couple phone conversations and emails. And when I mentioned to him that I ran the Vermont 100, he said to me, wow, I always wanted to do Vermont 100. And he rattled off these other races outside of the California area. And he's like, but I I didn't know any guides. There was no way to recruit guides. There was no network like there is now of social media. And that really struck me, you know, so whether it's United in Stride and that network or just social media in general, uh, I feel like we, or at least I need to focus on kind of the positive outcomes of, of social media and, you know, it's opportunities getting to know you and, you know, the running community is incredibly generous and, and approachable. So it's really fun being in a race and someone says, Hey, I'm Joe. And I'm like, Oh, Joe, I don't really know you. And they're like, well, we're Facebook friends. Like, <laughs> we oh, talk awesome. every day. We talk every day. I'm like, Oh, okay. It's you. I'm like, Oh, what's your handle? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, Oh, okay. Now I know you. So, you know, that's the, I think the rule, the really positive impacts and the measurable outcomes of social media. Definitely. Um, what would you tell 2010, the 2010 version of Kyle in terms of, you know, knowing what you know now about the training and racing and, and all the adventures ahead? My ankles and knees would probably <laughs> say, don't do it. But my heart and my soul would say, just keep getting after it and, yeah. and keep being active, keep building that community. And most importantly, have fun. You know, I certainly set goals for races or most races. I have time goals or I want to run the whole thing or run every hill or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, it's just important to, you know, smile, throw high fives to all the amazing race volunteers and just enjoy being out 
outside and your fellow runners and racers and, and crews, it's, you know, it just, it's a fun sport. And at the end of the day, that's what it should be. Definitely. What are some of the bucket list uh, races you've got? Man, I don't know. I, you know, I, I ticked off Trans Rockies last summer and Western States this year. I really wanted to run Leadville until I learned partly by running Trans Rockies that it's incredibly more technical than I thought. Uh, I really want to get out and run the, speaking of you and races, uh, run the North Face race in California. Yeah. I've never run the Headlands. And I, partly because I do have some usable vision right now. And I actually, I still can see landscapes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to try to get out to as many big mountain races as possible. Um, and then I also, my background is more in skiing um, than running. So I also want to try to do, I've never done backcountry and big mountain skiing, although I've been skiing my entire life. So um, winter of 2020, I, I really want to try to get above tree line, maybe do some heli skiing or figure out a way to, you know, hike up and, and ski down some, some big mountains. That's really cool. Um, who are some of your role models in the sport? From a personality and competitiveness. I mean, I think Zach Miller, it's hard not to run with his heart mm-hmm. and the passion. And although we don't share the same foot speed <laughs> and he makes a lot more noises and grunts when he <laughs> runs than I do. Um, that can be practiced. It, that can be practiced, <laughs> but you know, the dude just puts it all out there yeah. and it's hard not <laughs> to just admire that. And I've also come to know him a little bit and, you know, he's just a great person. He's a fellow beast coaster, you know, living in Colorado. So, um, I think that's great. I've just over the past, you know, six months, I've got to know Chrissy Mail a lot more. She guided me at the California international marathon and, you know, just a great person, a great human with a really, you know, wonderful spirit. Uh, Maggie Guterell has been incredibly supportive of, you know, me personally, but also guiding. She's run with Achilles Philly for a number of years and is guided runners. So um, those are some of the folks. And then, you know, not obviously not a role model, but, you know, my one of my big drives is, you know, I have an 11 year old daughter who I just want her to see that and others to see that getting outside and, and, you know, there's the boundaries are really just what we or others create for us and trying to push and break through those boundaries. And again, the process, I want her to see that I have to put in, I have to leave, you know, every morning at 6am on Saturday and Sunday and, you know, to get out there and run in order to be able to do the races that I, that I want to do. And, you know, I hope that instills a sense of responsibility and drive in her regardless of what she chooses to do. Does she run? She would not qualify herself as a runner. Um, she's super active in, you know, club soccer and gymnastics. Um, she's good for probably two to three five Ks a year. And this past Memorial Day weekend, she actually ran her first five K trail race up at Pineland Farms. Oh, and, cool. Uh, she initially wanted to do the kids one K, and I talked her and I bribed her essentially to do the five K. <laughs> and just to see her out in the trails finishing with a huge, huge smile the at the best. finish line. And the first thing she said to me, she's like, daddy, she's like, I passed so many people. I counted <laughs> how many people I passed in the downhills. I just remember you saying hammer the downhills. And she said, I did that. That's and so awesome. that was awesome. You know? So those are the memories that we really, really cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah. You mentioned some really cool athletes there. Maggie, she, she just knows everyone and she's always uh, doing awesome things. Zach Miller is really like, so I saw him, I saw him running North face. I think it was 2016, 20, uh, must've been 2016 when, when the relay was still in the headlands as well. And I, I remember I was finishing my 10 K loop 
as he was finishing the 50 miler. And I had, I don't know, a mile to go. So I was at mile five and he was at mile 49 and he comes charging up behind me with this noise that yeah. I'll just remember forever. Yeah. And then you could see, you could hear the noise on, on the video that yeah. they put together chasing down. I think it was Hayden. Yeah. And I remember him passing me and I was like, holy shit, that's mile 50 of yeah. his race. And, yeah. and like, I can't put out that kind of effort in, in a single mile. Yeah. Um, but, um, but a chat I had with him was really what, what got me thinking about, I should do a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll forever be thankful f- of, of him kicking my ass on yeah. the Manitou incline. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the Mexican dinner we had afterwards yeah. where, where I basically asked him one of these questions, like, yeah. why do you do it? Yeah. And, and then I just shut up and he talked for like 20 minutes. Yeah. And it was just like, I wish I could just like replicate or share the, the answer that yeah. he, he had, but it was like, it was just, it was so simple. Like, yeah. I, I want to like, I want to know what I can get out of my body while yeah. I have it. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally agree. And I think, you know, one of the beautiful things about the Miller Hawks video from that, you know, North Face race, which I've actually watched probably four or five times with my daughter who first commented on the noises. She's like, is he all right? I'm like, he is just, no, he, well, no, <laughs> he's yeah. good. He's good, but he was working hard. But you know, the most beautiful thing is the finish, right? So it's not only the adrenaline and the excitement that he has for his own finish, but then st- standing there at the finish line and seeing him, you know, not only cheer, but then essentially tackle Hayden <laughs> and, and give him huge congratulations and tell him, you know, you are the man and you've arrived. Like, Again, you don't get that in sport, right? Yeah. You don't get that at the World Series where, yeah, you shake hands and you move on. But so the camaraderie in, in this sport, uh, even though it is competitive, is uh, is outstanding. And I think that's why I want to get more and more people to kind of, you know, not make the permit transition from roads to trails, but, you know, get outside and enjoy that a little bit more. And, and while knowing that you can still be competitive, you can still have run fast times, um, but it's, it's the community and it's also the ability to run five miles, eat a bunch of food and then <laughs> run another five miles. You, you don't get that in a marathon. Yeah. I, the, what I remember or how I was describing the 50 K that I did in the fall mm-hmm. was basically, um, I would, I would run five miles. Devin Yanko would give me snacks, tell me to scram. And then I would run another five miles. And then Devin would give me snacks, tell me to get out of here. And then it's just like on repeat. I saw her six times, five times. Um, And it's just like, yeah, just running from buffet table to buffet table. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. People wonder why we do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's an experience that you can't, you just have to, you just have to have. And, and the, the, like you said, the community is, is what drives it. And, um, to see the support around athletes of any level um, that pros have and the pros loving the engagement and the, the, you know, it goes both ways. Yeah. And even, you know, everyday runners and also, you know, folks who have never tried a trail race and even if it's a 5k trail race, you know, that that's huge. And I had the opportunity last summer to go and present at the U S trail running conference about building inclusive races and athletes with disabilities divisions and kind of building on the Vermont 100 had the first ever athlete with disability division for ultra race or trail race. And one of the race directors went back to his, uh, hometown in California. I think he runs Pacific coast trails and they host like 20, 30 trails. And he decided at one of his, 
think it was a 10K, 5K, 10K, multiple distances, was really close to the California School for the Blind. So he created a visually impaired division, reached out to the school. And this past fall, they had six or seven runners who are blind and visually impaired, all young people, who went out there and ran. Um, for the first time ever on a, not only on a trail and it was gravel road, but it's, you know, it's not road. But then also the feedback that I received from a few parents who said it was so amazing to see my kid participate in a race or an activity where everyone else was doing, right? So you go to these events where it's an adaptive sport and it's just all people with different abilities, but to see them actually participating in a race with, with everyone else. Um, was incredibly powerful to see and how some of these young people are literally doing like almost all of the Pacific Coast Trail races and they're out there, you know, pictures on top of mountains with the biggest smile on their face. And I, I think that's obviously important overall, but it also speaks to the inclusiveness of the trail running community to kind of build out and create opportunities for that. And there's certainly a ton of road races, including the Boston Marathon that have, you know, athletes with disabilities divisions, but, you know, to be able to start create that and move that into the space of trail running is, is, uh, really exciting as well. Cool. So what, what can other runners do to be more inclusive, be more, uh, welcoming or, or, or what would make it easier, uh, for more runners to, to do it? I think, if folks are active with a running club, whether that's a, you know, a standalone community-based running club or something affiliated with a running store like the Heartbreakers, is create some opportunities for organizations or athletes with different abilities to come in and, you know, present to them about guiding opportunities. Also reach out to runners in their community and invite them to participate in the regular weekly runs that groups do. Uh, also being available to be a sighted guide and sign up for United and Stride is really important. The great thing about being a guide is, you know, if you're already out running five days a week, you're essentially volunteering on one of those runs and it could be your recovery day run. Mm -hmm. You know, I run with, I have four guides right now. All my guides are amazing, but I have four guides right now who all happen to be med school students. So they're like a personality overachievers. They hammer, you know, three, I just, one of my new guides is a 451 mile PR which is hard for me to wrap my head yeah. around, you know, so I run with her on like her recovery days. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really easy for, it's a great it's opportunity for guides to, to runners to be able to wrap their love of running into volunteerism. And then for folks who are either connected to race directors or their local races, you know, have a conversation with them about creating either a visually impaired division or an athletes with disability division. And it's not always, you know, if you build it, they'll definitely come, but just knowing that a race has a visually impaired division, even if you're looking at their website to, and you want to sign up, it's really great knowing that because then the conversation is much easier. Like I have to reach out to every race director and say, hey, I really want to sign up for your race. Are you cool with me having guides? 99 out of 100 races say, yes, what can we do to be supportive? But seeing language about an inclusive race or an athletes with disability division makes that ask a lot easier because I know that that person has already thought through some of um, some ways to be inclusive. Very cool. Kyle, where can people find you on social media? Great question. So on Instagram, I am blind beer runner. Um, I'm a big fan of local beer and Twitter. I'm just Kyle R. Robidoux. And yeah, Facebook as well. Cool. Well, I gotta ask about the beer. Um, what are what are some of your favorites in uh, in the Boston area? 
Oh, there's so many. I think styles are, I, I actually like all beers except for IPAs. So I'm a big fan of Notch Brewing in Salem. They do some wonderful ales and lagers. Uh, Mystic Brewing in Chelsea. I'm a big fan of Saison's and Farmhouse Ales. And, you know, they can't miss when it comes to that. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, good luck at Western States and, and beyond. Thanks so much. Thanks uh, for having me on and, and doing all that you're doing in the running community as well. Of course. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.